0: And this week, we want to focus on Jesus as the last Adam, which we see in these verses. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then Paul takes a breath and goes off in a different direction. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned, in the likeness of the offence of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in, in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a very dense passage. And just me reading it like that, we're probably struggling, what is Paul going on about? But we're going to try and unwrap it this morning and open it up as to what he's actually saying. Because this is profound truth in this passage about all that Jesus is and how he has undone the work of the fall. Imagine a world where there is no corruption, no pain, no exploitation, no evil, no death. For the gardener, there are no weeds, a happy release. For the doctor or nurse, there's no disease. For the teacher, there are no kids playing up. Everything in the world is perfect, in in harmony and in order. Our only work is to nurture this world and to care for one another. This is the world as it was originally created to be. This is the world into which the first humans came. They lived in harmony with their surroundings and with their Creator. We don't know how long this situation existed for, but we know that at some stage, humanity chose to rebel against God's perfect rule. It was not enough for us that God had given us dominion over all things. We also wanted to determine what was right or wrong for ourselves outside of the framework that God had given us. We wanted to become gods in our own right, and that is still the craving of humanity. We want to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. And yet God has said there's a framework that i provided for you that will bring you peace, that will bring you harmony, that will bring you joy. And yet each one of us has within our heart the seeds of rebellion. And the consequence of this action by those first people, this rebellion on the part of humanity was that death and corruption entered the world suddenly the balance and harmony that had been there from the beginning was out of kilter suddenly the relationship of humanity with the god who created them was broken suddenly the image of the infinite god that had been imprinted in the person of the first humans was spoiled and marred no longer was the glory of god evident but suddenly it was the glory of man that could be seen Death didn't follow immediately as it was thought would happen. Instead, the seeds of death entered into life so that humanity, who were not created to die, suddenly faced death as a present and certain reality. There The earth that had once brought forth abundance to satisfy every human need now brought forth thistles and thorns. The human body became flawed so that sickness and disease became part of the human condition. The rebellion of the first humans did not affect just them, but affected all who would flow from them. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So that first rebellion spawned a race of people who were born in rebellion against the living God. You and I are born into, that, born into that flawed race. And this flies in the face, the face of the humanist position. Humanists believe that all people are basically born good. And that it's only circumstances and environment that cause people to do bad things. Of course, those things may contribute in that they help shape who we become and the choices we make. But the problems starts further back than that. The fundamental problem is that we are born to sin. We are part of a corrupt race, born in rebellion against God. We can see this as follows. If a president or prime minister of a nation signs a treaty, he binds everyone in that nation to that treaty. So when the peace accord with Germany was signed at the end of the Second World War, everyone in the nation was moved from being at war with Germany to being at peace with Germany. Whether they signed the treaty or not, they were born suddenly in a nation that was at peace. In the same way, when Adam rebelled against God's rule, everyone who proceeded from him were born in that rebellion. It's not a choice we make, it's a fact of our birth. This this means that we're also born with a corrupt nature, so that before long... We live according to that nature and we exert our own selfish will. And that's what sin is. It's when we exert our selfish will over and above God's will and God's purpose in our lives. We are born in rebellion because of being part of the human race that is in rebellion against God. And we are born with a corrupt nature that has the capacity for personal sin. The image of God is still there inside, but it's misshapen. It's deformed. When God gave the law to Moses, it was to guide the nation of Israel as to how to live in harmony with God as part of his covenant people. Unfortunately, as Paul goes on to argue in Romans 7, the law, though it points out how to live, it gives us no power to live in obedience to God. It only had power to show up more intensely how rebellious we are. It could not undo the corruption in the human heart. Neither could it undo the sentence of death that was hanging over us, both physical death and the eternal separation between ourselves and God. It could only highlight our shortcomings. And Paul, having told this story fleetingly in verses 12 to 14, then gives us God's solution. This solution was not to screw up the world and throw it away and start again. It was not to send another flood so that he could start once more with a faithful few. God's plan is much bigger, amazing, intriguing and mysterious than either of those solutions. God's plan was to recreate and restore the world whilst the fallen world still exists. God has not given up on this world. He's not letting it all wind down, only to rescue a few faithful souls before throwing the whole thing away and starting again. God is in the business of redeeming and restoring the good world he has made. His plan for the world has not changed and will be fulfilled. His plan is that his glory will be seen in all of creation as a demonstration of his many-coloured wisdom, so that the principalities and powers will look in awe and wonder. It's nothing less than the restoration of this world to the original intention. God did not fail when he created the world and man rebelled. God will bring about his purposes in this world. And he will restore it to the original divine intention. And he will bring all things back under harmony with himself. And he will bring all things back under his lordship. And the world will one day operate again as it was originally intended to be. God's purposes have always focused on humanity. As his image bearers, we were to multiply and carry his image and glory into the four corners of the earth. Instead, we've exported death and corruption and a faulty image of God. We've done unspeakable things to one another. We've failed to live in the harmony for which we originally intended. But God had a plan. And God's plan from the beginning was to recreate or to create a new human race from within the existing one. This human race would be one who ultimately would fulfill his purposes in the earth. This would be a people who would live in harmony with their God and in whom his glory would be seen. This would be a people who would truly export his glory into the whole earth as redeemed and restored creatures. No longer living out of the corrupt fallen nature inherited from Adam, but instead living as new creations out of the mercy and the grace of God. How could God do this? How could God create a new race out of that fallen race? Through sending a new Adam to the earth. Jesus is the new Adam, the last Adam. He came to create a new humanity upon the earth. But this humanity would not be through natural descent and from human seed. It would be through the power and the grace of God. We do not become the new humanity through natural birth, but by by being born again by the Spirit of God. You are a new human race this morning. You're not in Adam anymore. You're in Jesus, the new Adam. Adam. So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the power of the gospel. We're not just slightly better human beings. We've not just taken on a few new values. We're a new creation this morning. A new human race. Amidst amidst the old one. God is recreating humanity not by throwing away that which was old and corrupt, but by restoring it from within. We are no longer part of Adam's race that is corrupt and dying. We are part of Jesus' race that is being renewed day by day. If this doesn't excite you, I don't know why it else will. This is how it works. Jesus, though fully God, was born as a man through Mary. He was born without the corruption in his humanity that we are born with. However, he didn't choose to follow the way of humanity into rebellion against God. Instead, he lived as a man in perfect obedience to the Father throughout his life. Where Adam had failed, Jesus succeeded. And then as a man, he suffered death The penalty that had come to humanity as a result of Adam's rebellion. And even though he'd done nothing to warrant it, he died. Remember, death only came into the world because of humanity's rebellion. It's the penalty for sin. Since Jesus didn't sin, he didn't deserve the penalty. Therefore, he didn't need to die, but he chose to die and bear the penalty in our place. In dying this way, a death he didn't deserve, he faced the penalty of death on behalf of us all so that we no longer have to. And that's the reason why our sins, our acts of rebellion can be forgiven. Not because God just overlooks them, but because the penalty for us has been paid. Jesus is our substitute. He stood in our place. He endured the full penalty for our sins so that we can go free. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Through his one act of obedience, freedom can come to everybody. In other words, as Adam's rebellion brought corruption to humanity, so Jesus' act of obedience in going to the cross has caused God's grace to overflow to humanity such that we no longer have to face the consequences of Adam's sin. We are no longer part of that old human race that's dying. We're now part of the new human race that's in Christ Jesus being restored. More than that, Paul ends this passage by telling us that because of God's grace, we will also reign with Jesus when he renews and restores the earth to its original intention. And so there are two human races on earth. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Adam remain in their corruption and they're heading for an eternity without God. But those who have put their faith in Jesus and in what he has done and in the grace of God are destined to be part of God's renewed creation. So what does this mean for us today? Firstly, it means that God is at work in you to undo all the effects of the fall. He has renewed your spirit. When you put your trust in Jesus, your spirit is made alive. And you can now have a relationship with the living God as you were always intended to have. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, Paul lays this out clearly. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins are now made alive in Christ Jesus. God has made you alive, not by good works or anything else except by his grace. She's very much alive. (laughs) He's in the process of renewing your soul. This means he wants to heal the hurts that have affected you by being born as as part of the fallen human race. He wants to help us renew our thinking so that we no longer think as the world thinks, but instead instinctively act as he always intended humanity to act in love and faithfulness. He's renewing us so that our instinct ceases to be rebellion, but is instead obedience. And this comes about as we choose to submit to him day by day. He's also going to renew our bodies. This flesh and blood still has the corruption within it that allows me to fall sick and will lead to my physical death. But it will one day be renewed. And whether I'm alive or dead at his coming, I will be resurrected in a body that will not spoil or mar or fade away. God is in the business of complete restoration. Everything that is that is negative about being being human and being in the human condition will be wiped away, because it's already been triumphed. Already been concluded through the triumph of the cross. Secondly, and this is Paul's argument in much of the New Testament, we are called to live now as members of the new human race that's in Christ Jesus, not as part of of the old Adamic race. The issue for us is no longer our sin that was dealt with on the cross. We no longer have to live under the guilt and shame of that sin. God no longer holds our sin against us. That would be like a father continually bringing up the errors of a son, even though they've long since been dealt with, and any consequential punishment has already been applied. You and I don't live under the burden of our past failures. As far as God is concerned, they are gone. He doesn't bring up the past because Jesus has dealt with it. If you're still carrying guilt from something you did wrong in the past, let it go. Jesus has borne your punishment on your behalf so that you don't have to carry that guilt anymore. And when he cried, it is finished, that concluded the punishment for your failures and my failures. They are dealt with at the cross. When we remember the cross now, it's not with the burden of guilt still hanging around our neck like an albatross on a foolish sailor. It's with the joy of thanksgiving. The communion is not shared time and again, to remind us that we are guilty sinners, but to remind us that we have a great savior who has set us free from the power of sin and death and given us new life. It's a declaration of the goodness and grace of God poured out for us through Jesus' shed blood. It's God's declaration of love for his creation. And all of this means we're to stop living as children of Abraham. We don't, sorry, of Adam, not Abraham. We have to stop living as children of Adam. We don't have to live in rebellion against God anymore. We can now choose to live as children of God in Christ Jesus. We can now choose to do good in our lives. We can now choose to work with God to help renew his creation and to bring others into this same renewal that we've experienced. We, the rescued, can become the rescuers of others in a fallen and corrupt world. Life now has meaning. It's no longer a downward spiral towards death but is an upward journey to eternal life. And all of this is made abundantly available through Jesus, the last Adam. And through the last Adam, God is renewing his creation until all things in heaven and earth are under Christ Jesus. In the meantime, don't live as if you're still part of that old human race that's dying. Instead, choose to live In the good of all that God has done for us in Christ. Choose to live as part of God's renewed creation. Choose to live in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for your servant Paul who has explained this for us. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll make that A daily reality for us as we choose to live out of our new humanity, not out of our past. Renew us, Father. Imprint upon us the image of your Son increasingly day by day. That we might live as you have called us to live. And might see your restoration work acting in us and through us to your whole uh, earth. Amen.